You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolence smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It's good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Those are verses 65 to 72 of Psalm 119, verses 49 through 72 of which are the psalms appointed for today, Wednesday, June the 2nd, 2021. Thank you. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. I appreciate you being with me today. We're, we're continuing our study in the books of Deuteronomy and in 2 Corinthians and the Gospel according to Luke today. So remember that we've been looking at that the way that they're supposed to be in the land, they're supposed to love the Lord their God with their, all their heart and soul, supposed to serve Him with everything that they have. They're supposed to wait until He shows them a place to worship, and they're to worship in that place and to bring their sacrifices that He's commanded, but also they're to rejoice there. It's, it's to be a rejoicing because the Lord's given them rest from all their labors, and He's given them this good land that produces super abundant produce so it's exceedingly fruitful and so then they're there and then comes this huge warning here from um, Moses in Deuteronomy 13 1 to 11 he said if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass and then if he says let's go after other gods which you've not known and let us serve them he says don't listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams For God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. I mean, it's a a powerful statement to say that that a prophet could arise among you, and in fact, he is predicting that they will arise, who will will make a, a prophecy about a sign or wonder, and that sign or wonder will come to pass. He said, but be careful about following that one. Know what their message is. If they're a prophet approved by God, then they won't point you away from serving him. If they point you away from serving him, then then you have to reject them. But then it goes on beyond that. He says, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and serve him and hold fast to him. That more than the workers of signs and wonders is the one who points to the living God the one who has brought you out of slavery in Egypt. He said that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he's taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. So shall you purge the evil from your midst. And if we go back and look at some gospel lessons when, when Jesus talks about doing things by the finger of God and he talks about these prophets and these others who come and do things, he's authenticating himself not just by the things that he does but by the message that he gives. And so the, the people, the Pharisees, the leaders, had to always measure Jesus against that standard, right? Yes, he's doing these signs and wonders, but what's he teaching? Is he teaching people to to follow hard after God, or is he pointing in some other and opposite direction? And ultimately, the the conclusion they come to is that he's pointing to himself. 
He's counting himself as equal to God, and that's where the blasphemy that they see occurs. It's only later with the resurrection on our side, but then also in Revelation 5 when the worship of heaven is directed to the Lamb looking like it was slain. It's only in that light that we can measure the claim to equality with God. And so the resurrection proves that he's acceptable to God, that he didn't point in a different direction because it's the ultimate sign and the ultimate wonder is is the resurrection of Jesus. And so what, what they're told is you should purge the evil from your midst. And so they could claim uh, at the time of the crucifixion that that's exactly what they're doing is purging the evil from their midst because he was pointing people away from God to himself. Well, he didn't. He never did. He always pointed to the Father as the source of of his ability to do all things through the power of the Holy Spirit. And then they go on beyond that. Moses does in this law. He's not just saying do that from some random prophet or dreamer of dreams. He says, no, if your brother, the son of your mother or your son or your daughter or the wife you embrace or your friend who is as your own soul entices you secretly saying, let us go and serve other gods which neither you nor your fathers have known, some of the gods of the peoples who are around you, whether near you or far off from you from one end of the earth to the other, you shall not yield to him or listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, nor shall you spare him, nor shall you conceal him, but you shall kill him. I mean, it, your brother, your children, your wife, your friend who you love like your own soul, kill him, and your hand shall be first against him to put him to death and afterward the hand of all the people stone him to death with stones because he sought to draw you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the houses it's important um, Moses says it's, it's critically important that we continue always to follow hard after the living God who has delivered us from the house of Egypt in fact if anybody tries to draw you away and preach a false message and lead you to some other God then kill them. I don't care how close they are to you, he says. Kill them. Stone them to death. And you should be first. It's a scary business to think about that. But, but Moses recognizes that there are two things on the line. The future of the people of Israel, but more importantly, the name of God. And so if God's people who are in covenant with him are led astray and begin to follow after other gods, then, then God's reputation is at stake as well because the people around them will see this. You know, it's one of the tools that he used against God in some ways. Whenever he, whenever God was prepared to destroy all the people, he says, no, that then the Egyptians are going to look and they're going to say, he just brought them out here into the wilderness to kill them. Your name is at stake based on what you do. And here what he's saying is once you go into the land, you've got to maintain God's name as well. And the way you maintain that is through your worship and through your intolerance of worship of other gods in the land that God's giving you. And, and we're not supposed to be tolerant in all things. We, we are supposed to be a people who, who know the truth and that the truth is the most important thing. We, we live in a time when truth is under attack. It's, it's uh, even denied that there is such a thing as truth, right? We've got my truth and your truth and all that. No, no, no. What, what is truth? You know, the, the old way of people evaluating truth, and some of you probably are unaware that, that it's an old way, that, that, it, that you think it's the only way, and that is, it's the correspondence theory of truth, that, and that is that which corresponds most closely to reality is true. 
But that's not the way people look at it anymore. There are all these fuzzy things that are going on. And, and in the church, we're called to be a people of truth. We're called to be a people who are um, who are unashamedly attached to the truth that there is but one God and that there's one way to the Father. Jesus' sacrifice is the most important thing. And if we begin to preach some other gospel that there are other ways other than through the blood of Jesus, then that person should be anathema among us. We wouldn't kill those people. That's not the way we do things. We don't live in the land. We don't live in that kind of thing. But what we're told in Revelation is is that those who are unbelievers and those who are deceivers and liars and all that kind of stuff will be outside the kingdom. They won't be allowed into the kingdom. And Jesus speaks here, and the Pharisees ask him when the kingdom of God will come. And he says the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So it's the power of the Holy Spirit living in God's people that is the manifestation of the kingdom of God on this earth. It's not going to be something over here or over there. No, it's literally the kingdom of God is in the midst of his worshiping community through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we are to be the, the sign of God's presence and therefore his kingdom on the earth. And then we should see signs and wonders that follow along with that. We absolutely should expect to see miracles among God's people, and that's been the most gratifying thing I think that's happened for me in the last uh, several years, actually, is what God's done in, in healing my son. And, and it's been a gratifying thing because so many people came along and prayed with us and joined us in calling out to the Lord for this. And we were clear, I think, at least, we were clear in all things that this is the thing about God. It's not about something else. It's about Him, and it's about giving glory to Him, and, and I think we all rejoice in what He's done. And nobody else can take credit for that. No doctor, no nurse, no parent, not me, not Suzanne, not Will, nobody. Uh-uh. God alone gets all the glory for that. And he, he continues to speak to the disciples here and says, The days are coming when you'll desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you won't see it. And they'll say to you, Look there, or look here, don't go out or follow Him. Because as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. There won't be any hiddenness to it. You won't have to go searching for it. But first, he has to suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And then he goes on to say, just like it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man, just like in the days of Lot. So it will be, everything looks fine, everything's going along smoothly, people are getting married, they're doing all the normal things of life, and then suddenly God's judgment comes. And when Noah enters the ark and and everybody in the human race and most of creation is drowned. And then in the days of Lot, when fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. And he, he says, don't, if you're on the housetop and your goods are in the house, don't come down and get those things. Uh, And if you're in the field, don't turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Remember what happened when she turned back. She couldn't leave those things behind her. She and pursue hard after God. She was looking back to the things that, that she loved of the world. And then he goes on to say, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. And then he talks about judgment. In that night, there'll be two in a bed. One will be taken, the other left. Two women grinding together. One will be taken, and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? He said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures would gather. 
it's a frightening, horrible prospect to think about the day of judgment and the coming of the Lord in, in judgment. It should, it should cause us all to grieve. It should cause us all to grieve for people that we know who have currently at least rejected him and, and made a decision that they will not follow him and they will not accept him as Savior and Lord. It's up to us to be that winsome community that proclaims with gladness and joy what Jesus has done and who he is and lead others to him that they might not um, come under that judgment in the last day. It's, it's, it's important for us if we truly love the people around us to keep them from those sins because it, it, we may not be killing them, but as so long as we allow them to persevere in, in leading, uh, in going astray and leading others astray, then, then we bear responsibility for judgment fallen upon them. It's incumbent upon us as, as members of the church to call people to repentance over false teaching. It's important for us to call those things out because we are consigning them to God's judgment no less than um, Moses was speaking about in killing those people who, do, who lead the people astray. We're consigning them to God's judgment and death if we fail to call out false teaching and untruth. And Paul says, look, hey, you know, make room in your hearts for us. We haven't wronged anybody. We haven't corrupted anybody. We haven't taken advantage of anybody. Um, I, I want you to understand how much I love you. He said, I said before, you're in our hearts to die together and to live together. I'm acting with great boldness toward you because I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort in all our affliction. I'm overflowing with joy. He's had to write them a difficult letter, and we don't know if that's part of this Second Corinthians letter from beginning in about chapter 5 or whether it's a third epistle that he had written to them. But, but he, he has had to grieve them, he says, by what he had to say because he had to point out sin in their midst. He had to call them out. And he said, even if I made you grieve with my letter, I don't regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a little while. As it is, I rejoice. Not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. In other words, that the, the, the letter had its effect. It was accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit to convict of sin. And that you repented of that sin and you turned away from that. And therefore, now you're walking back in the right path. And we're so happy that that worked. Um, he said, I hated to do it, but it was necessary that I do it. And that's one of the things that we, we talk about is what's the loving thing to do? Well, the loving thing to do, in this case, Paul says, was to, to, to write exactly what I wrote. Even though it bothered me that I had to write it, that I wrote it. And, and what it produced is joy. And because of that, we can rejoice in reconciliation and restoration of fellowship between us because you've rejected falsehood and grabbed hold of fast to truth. That you've accepted that godly admonition and that, and that godly uh, letter of, of rebuke and, and that you received it by the power of God and repented of the things that I said to you. You received the truth that I shared with you. And because of that, now you're stronger and you're better. And so is our fellowship with one another. And so the loving thing to do sometimes is to confront sin. Lest that person end up falling under judgment because no one has spoken truth to them. It's important for us to speak truth to one another. It's important to us to witness that truth matters. And that sin matters. And that sin is ultimately that which separates us, that, that we might be 
be rebuked into repentance and obedience and, and restored to the love and the fellowship of the church down through the centuries and through the ages. And so Paul is rejoicing about these things. He said, um, and then even greater than that was when Titus came back and told me how you guys are doing and what zeal you have and that you wanted to rid yourself of this thing that was in your midst. And now I'm excited, Paul says. I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. And his confidence is based in their hearing the word of God, the word of rebuke in his letter, and receiving it as truth and repenting of that sin and putting that sin out from their midst and, and moving forward with Jesus.